So you guys speaking Greek and Hebrew there? Bless you. Everybody ever wide awake? See your life, fake it until you make it? <laughs> good, to, good to see you this morning. So is everybody week going well so far? Okay, we're halfway done, so, you know, persevere. Yeah. Well, just good to be with you. Thank you for your prayers. Uh, I mentioned last week we went to Trinidad uh, for a, a marriage conference, and uh, it went extremely well. The Boudrams are ministry partners here at the church, and yeah, just thoroughly impressed with what they're doing there with their Bible Institute and training leaders there and the churches that they planted, and uh, just... Uh, numbers of people that uh, have been led to Christ to the ministry there and just uh, the favor that God has given them. And uh, the conference went really well. In fact, uh, uh, more people showed up than we had materials for. So we had to kind of scurry and put that together. But it was, uh, it was uh, just, just a great time. You know, it is a blessing to be able to come along God's choice servants alongside of them and and uh, not only do you encourage them, but uh, more often than not, they bless your heart. And uh, so, yeah, it was, it, was, uh, it was a joy. It was a joy. Well, let's start with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your goodness and uh, thank you for your mercy in our lives. And thank you, oh God, uh, that you are personal. Uh, it is beyond our human comprehension that the God of the universe would take a residence in our lives. And uh, so, Father, uh, we bless your name and thank you for loving us in such an enormous, infinite, unimaginable way. Speak to us, O oh God, and help us as we uh, try to approach uh, uh, beginning to understand uh, your nature and who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're going to take up a massive subject. Uh, we're going to talk about theology proper. What is theology proper? We always have one ringer in the class. <laughs> study of God himself. Yeah, that's right. It's the, it's the study of God. The study of God. Um, Explain or describe God. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you have a hand up. Yeah, I do. No. How would uh, you, uh, someone comes up to you and says, I have no concept or idea of God, who and what that is, or he is, or whatever, what would you say? Yeah. His attributes, okay. The creator and sustainer of the universe, that's what he does, right? Look at Jesus. Well, they have no concept of Jesus. <laughs> My kind of man. Yeah. Let's start with this. Okay. Father. That's some pretty screwed up fathers. Yeah, it is. 
loving father. Okay. Attributes. Creator, sustainer of the universe. Okay. That still doesn't help me much if I don't have no concept, I have no point of reference. I'm thinking, yo, this is some big dude that follows sheep, okay? All right? Yeah, I, actually, that's, this is, this is kind of like a futile exercise, okay? And I did that on purpose. I did that on purpose. Someone help me pass these out, please. One of the, you know, again, I, I, I'm like, sound like a broken, so I'd say record, but we don't use records anymore, broken CD. Um, you know, this, this, is, this is a massive undertaking, and there's various ways in which you can uh, teach the theology of God. Uh, you can teach it, uh, and I started to do this, um, you can teach it in contrast to other supposed deities and the uniqueness of our God concern, uh, in contrast to those deities. Um, you, can, you can inductively go about uh, you know, teaching it from uh, a purely apologetic perspective, meaning that you know, uh, there is something in us that um, um, uh, would, would warrant, if I could use expression, the existence of God, uh, conscience, creativity. Uh, you look at the order and design of the universe and all of these arguments, you could uh, backdoor it that way. But let me, let, me, let me just say up front, and this is in your, um, your notes here, first of all, it is impossible to adequately describe or explain God. It is impossible. The key word is to adequately describe or explain God. And you might want to put in parentheses, the reason for that is simple. Uh, because God is totally other totally other. He's totally other. Now, he's not completely foreign to us because we're created in his image. There's something about God in us. We get that. But even that, there is, uh, uh, notwithstanding the image of God that is stamped on us, God is totally other. And any discussion that, that uh, you know, leads to describing or, or, or trying to understand him must be done with profound humility because you're not going to get your arms or heads around God. He is God, we are not. Because he's God, there is mystery and a sense of incomprehensiveness, if I could use that expression, about him. 
And so, you know, man, in our, in, in our desire to have closure, and sometimes in our own arrogance, uh, we want to assume that we have the final word about God. That's the reason why, by the way, all apologetics must be done in the spirit of humility. I didn't say a lack of confidence, but in the spirit of humility. Because ultimately, you might have an answer to put someone uh, in their place, but ultimately, we don't have all the answers. And so there's got to be this spirit of understanding that God is massive, okay? And even when we're fighting against him, we're dependent upon him. Yeah, hello. Even when we're fighting against him, we're dependent upon him. That's the reason why sin and pride are so idiotic. Uh, he, he is massive. Now, the other assertion that I want to caution that I want to make before we get into the rest of this is that do not elevate one attribute over another. It is tempting to do this. Now, there is one exception that we're going to get to, because I, but that is not so much an exception because I think there, there's one attribute that is a summary of the whole. But you, be very careful of, of elevating an attribute of God, uh, one attribute o, o, over another. If we do, we settle for a caricature of God. You know what a caricature is? It's a distorted representation. So we got to be careful. By the way, there's some theologians, uh, not the least of whom is, uh, 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 he's with the Lord now, Dr. Charles Ryrie. Dr. Charles Ryrie, celebrated, brilliant theologian, uh, never uh, would teach on the attributes of God. And the reason why he wouldn't was because of what we just said here. Because he felt like to, to try to... Um, dissect God and separate his attributes is a disservice to the whole. I don't necessarily agree with that, but yet at the same time, I appreciate it. And I think his point is well taken. You got to be careful. And this is true when, you, when we do systematic theology and this kind of thing. Um, you you got to be careful that you don't have artificial separations of these things, and then you gravitate towards your favorite doctrine or your favorite emphasis, and you don't appreciate the whole. You don't appreciate the whole. And so, so, so you know, when we, we, we say, okay, uh, God is love. Well, yeah, that's what John says, but he didn't, he didn't say that to, to uh, suggest what we conclude, that that's all God is. That's not all God is. So you can take, you can click off his, and we're going to do this. We're going to go through his attributes, because I do think that it's important to understand, and these are pathways into understanding, beginning to understand, I'll put it this way, his nature. Um, and so just, just keep that in mind, and I, I just want to encourage us uh, that we don't elevate one of his attributes over the other. Uh, this is all a composite picture of our, our, great, our great God. Is that clear? Any, any questions about that? All right. Well, having said that, let's, I, I want to do two things today. I want to I take a look 
at his attributes. And, uh, and then also, I want to take a look at his names. Um, and this is not exhaustive. Uh, if you read systematic theology, any, any, any book on systematic theology or whatever, um, the number of attributes vary, and I'm not so sure I have but the com comprehensive list. Um, um, you know, so they do vary a bit. Uh, but there typically are two categories of God's attributes. You put them in two categories. Okay, the, the first category is what, what is known as absolute attributes. Absolute attributes. I always struggle with that term because I think even the second category could be called absolute. But by absolute attributes, what we mean is who God is within himself. Within himself. Within his particular nature. Within himself. And by the way, when we say the attributes of God, God does not become these things. He is these things. Okay? God does not grow. God does not develop. God doesn't become anything. He is. Okay? That's important for us to understand. He's not like us. He didn't have to overcome anything. He didn't have any weaknesses. Uh, he, he didn't have any gaps in his life. Uh, he didn't have any of that, okay? Uh, he doesn't develop. He doesn't grow. He is, all right? So, so this is the absolute attributes, who he is within himself. The first is spirituality. What does that mean? Well, it just simply means that God is now, I, I want you to, God is spirit, not a spirit. Important distinction. Who does not have physical form. God doesn't have physical form. He's not some dude in the sky with a long white beard. Uh, you know, we get these images. God is spirit. Now, he'll take on physical form. He took on, yeah, he'll, he'll do that if he needs to, but he is spirit, not a spirit. He is spirit. Doesn't have uh, a physical, physical form. John 4, 24. Secondly, God is self-existence. Is self-existence. This means that, and it's, this is so foreign for us to understand. His cause, and I put that in parentheses, because nothing causes existence. But for lack of a better word, his cause of existence is in himself. He is completely, absolutely independent in the purest, complete sense of that word. When we say that we're independent, no, there's not a human being in this world that is completely independent. Not one. 
not one. Every person who's ever been born is dependent. But in the purest sense of the word, God is absolutely, totally, infinitely independent. He's self-existent. I love the line in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, Moses says, who, who shall I say sent me? God says, what? You tell him, I am who I am sent you. I am who I am. I am who I am. He is the origin of all life. Yeah, he's the originator of all life. He's self-existent. You, you, we can't add anything to God. We can't help him. You say, God, I got a few suggestions for you. <laughs> Is he serious? I got a few suggestions for you. Yeah, yeah, I suggest this. Um, so he is self-existent. This ought to do something to our faith, by the way. This ought to do something to our faith. Every bit of whatever is necessary in all of life is found in him, his self-existence. Um, thirdly, the term immutability he is immutable. What does that mean? It means that God cannot or will not change. He will not change in his promises, his perfections, or his purposes. He cannot or will not change. Now, you, you might want to put in the parentheses, this is a mystery, however. Does prayer affect the heart of God? Yes, in ways in which we cannot adequately articulate. And if any Christian ever tells you that they understand how prayer works, get away from them. Run forest, run, you know, that we don't, this is mystery, we don't know how, and there are certain texts in the Bible um, that we cannot fully comprehend and understand. For example, for the life of me, and, I, and I've preached on this, I've read the commentaries on it, and all of this stuff, when it says that, you know, Moses, God, God was going to destroy the children of Israel for their disobedience. And he says, I make of you a great nation. And Moses goes up and pleads with God. The scriptures say, God changed his mind. Now, I should knock this. This is my favorite translation I'm reading from, the English Standard Version. It is my favorite translation. But the translators have a little bit of reformed perspective. And so I think they use, rather than changes that relented, to sort of soften it a little bit. 
I don't, you know, I don't understand that. Now, ultimately, the way, I, I don't think God ultimately changed his purposes. God didn't ultimately change, um, um, you know, what he decided to do. Uh, but in terms of destroying them, and it, to me, it's a mystery. Sometimes, yes, sir. No, that's great. That, but they didn't change. Exactly. They, they didn't change. No, no. I mean, that's, that's good. That's a good, 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 good attempt to get them off the hot seat there, Don. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I think your conclusion is accurate. Um, I don't want to belabor this, but I think what, what I'm trying to point out is that what I'm trying to point out is that um, there there are things that we just don't understand, and and they they appear to be contradictions, but they're not. Um, it's just that God doesn't choose to disclose to us the rest of the story. He doesn't choose to disclose to us, you know, we got some, got some empty blanks on this test page here, man. And he chooses not. I argue that, that the very existence of mystery uh, woos us to dependence. And that mystery itself is an affirmation of who he is. If you knew everything, then, you know, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's good. I, yeah, there's a lot of stuff I don't understand either. <laughs> Never mind, I started to say something that was not honoring. All right. The, the next attribute of God is unity. Unity. God is one numerically. The Shema. Deuteronomy 6, 4. God is a composite and cannot be divided into parts. Now, this one thing has gotten some people in trouble, this, this observation here. He is a triune God. He is a triune God. But whenever you talk about the Trinity, you got to be very careful now that you don't present him as three different gods. Whenever you discuss the Trinity, you got to be careful that you don't present the, the God as three different gods. All right? Um, and this is the mystery of the Trinity. Once again, mystery. Uh, one in substance, right? Unity. Unity. Yet they, they have different personality. And they are three persons. 
and yet one in substance. Explain that. Explain that. Those who have, uh, um, uh, those in the past who've tried to explain it this way have backdoored themselves into what is called modalism. You know, what is modalism? Modalism is the attempt, and some old line Pentecostal groups, and still they're around today, uh, some would be Jesus only people. Have you ever heard of those, that, that movement? Uh, modalism says that, that um, God, uh, during various segments of history, um, reveals himself as the Father in the Old Testament. Uh, God in the New Testament, uh, until he, Jesus leaves, has, is, is, is revealed as Jesus. Okay, and then Jesus is gone and God reveals himself as the Holy Spirit. Now, some would say, well, what's wrong with that? Uh, it, it's wrong because of the separation. Uh, and it's wrong because it's just a simplistic way of saying that God takes on the form of these. No, God is always God. Um, Jesus is always Jesus. The Holy Spirit is always the Holy Spirit, and yet they're one. Yeah. Yes. 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 That's a simple way of looking at modalism. Okay. But here, uh, we, we have to understand that God is a unit. He is one. We're not pantheists. We're not pantheists. To say that God is separate would be to say that we have multiple gods. And that's what Islam accuses Christianity of, of having multiple gods. Well, that's not true. I mean, they, there's a misunderstanding of what we mean by the Trinity. But God is one. God is one. Okay. Um, another, another one of his absolute attributes is that, that of truth. Truth. God does not just speak truth. He is truth. In his very nature, God identifies things, and here, here we have it, as they really are. He is the true God in distinction to all others. His word and revelation are reliable, and once again, he knows things as they are. There is no deception in God. There is no hypocrisy in God. There is no confliction in God. There is no duplicitous motivations in God. God is infinitely, completely true. Always true. Always true. He is truth and he's a standard for truth. 
God, another one of his uh, 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 absolute attributes is that God is love. Love. He doesn't just act in love. He is love. And it can be described this way. Love is that perfection of his nature by which God is moved to communicate himself. Love always has an object. Think about that statement. Love always has an object. I can argue that the very existence of the Trinity in community, there's intertrinitarian love. Thus, the very existence of love in God presupposes there's objects to be loved in this intertrinitarian love relationship. Man is created to have communion with God. God is moved to communicate himself to mankind. So love always has an object. The very fact that we can love is an evidence of the existence of God. That desire to love and to be loved is evidence of the It's a manifestation of the image of God. There's never been a person born in this world without the need for love and community and relationship. It's lodged in who God is. It is not just a necessary thing for us. It is lodged in who he is. Now, holiness, I would start this one. If you would say that there, if the, I think holiness is the summary attribute of all. It's a summary statement of God. Because you can take all of these attributes and put them under the banner of holiness. You can put all of these attributes under the banner of holiness. Now, holiness, literally the word means set apart. It means separation, completely perfect. Now, that's a woefully inadequate definition. I think sometimes in our desire to get people, and I, and I just did this myself, so I'm guilty of it, but I think sometimes in our desire to help people understand things, we simplify it too much. But there are several words in the Bible that just completely defy human description. And I think um, holiness is one of them, and I put the other two would be uh, glory and agape love. Uh, they're foreign. We, we, the finite human mind cannot begin to understand. When we say the holiness of God, are you talking about God being holy? How in the world can the finite human mind even begin to approach understanding the proactive purity of God? And so when we say that God is holy, you, you, know, what, you, know, you know what happens to people whenever they got close to the presence of God? Isaiah, woe is me. 
And Moses, begging and pleading God, show me your glory. God said, nah, nah, you couldn't handle that, buddy. It's all over. Tell you what, I'll give you a little glimpse of this back here. Just a little glimpse of that. And that's even going to mess you up. So when you talk about the holiness of God, yeah, none of us can stand. A human being would die if God revealed himself to us. So he's holy. By the way, that, that whole concept of the holiness of God, once we begin to understand that, it will make us radically impatient with sin. Radically impatient with sin. We ever understood that. And that's what the writers of the Old Testament meant when they kept coming back to the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is attached to his nature. It's the holiness of God. Yeah. This is his foremost attribute. Any, any questions about these absolute attributes? Was the last line? Foremost. This is his foremost attribute. Now, this is the, the, these, these absolute attributes are who God is within himself. All right? Now, these relative attributes, what do we mean by relative attributes? What would you put in those two blanks? Okay. How God is related to blank and blank. Relative attributes is they're how God is related to time and space. Time and space. Time and space. We're going to see that God doesn't need time, that time doesn't affect God, but God uses time. Space doesn't affect God, but God uses space. Time is a human instrument. Space is a human thing. It's, it's, it's for us, but you, you don't understand God by using our spatial and, and, and linear ways of approaching things. I'm going I'm to hint at something here we're going to get back at in a moment. This is the reason why, now this sounds like it's not connected, but it is connected. This is the reason why at certain points discussions about election and the free will of man, is, it, they just fall apart. Because those discussions have to be, from a human perspective, they've, they've, they've got to take place within the context and the framework of time. The reason why we don't understand the closure on those things is because we're thinking in terms of how could this be true and that be true because of a time consideration here. And so we can only see things sequentially. Well, God, God doesn't, God's, God sees everything as it is right now. There's no past, present, or future with God. Now that you, you got that'll blow your mind. There's no past, present, or future with God. There's none. 
In other words, in our mind, what takes place 35 years ago uh, from now to God is now. There's no, there's no past, present, or future. Uh, you guys looking at me like I'm crazy. But it's, it's important for us to understand that. And again, that forces us to this dependent posture. We can only resolve what he discloses to us. You, you hear what I'm saying? You can only resolve what he discloses to us. Because he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't, he's not bound by what we're bound to. Okay. What's that? Yes, yes, yes. So let's take a look at a few of these things here. The first is eternity. And I just said this. God is not limited or bound by time. To him, there are no succession of events or temporal limitations. He's going to sit up and say, well, okay, well, when are we going to do this, Jesus? Holy Spirit, when are we going to do this? Oh, that's scheduled for, okay. Oh, we, I hope we have enough time to do this. <laughs> he, sits, he, does, he uses time to relate to us, but he doesn't, doesn't relate to him. So there, there's no succession of events. Another term is immensity. What does that mean? It means God transcends all spatial limitations and all of him is present everywhere at the same time. You, you see why it's impossible to try to describe God? You, you see why it breaks down? Because this one concept of his immensity, the fact that th there's just no spatial limitations. It's no, I, I can't get over there because, you know, the road is blocked. The bridge is washed out. I can't get to you because there are floods. Oh, it's raining. I'm sorry. I just can't make it. There, there are no limitations to him. God is everywhere. All of him. At the same time. Where shall I go from your presence? So he has no spatial limitations. Where was God in 9-11? Where was God when those folks got killed yesterday in New York? Where was God in Las Vegas? Don't say he didn't see that. Don't say he wasn't there. Where was God when our daughter died? He was there. He was there. You see how personal this stuff is? There are no spatial limitations. God is everywhere at the same time. 
He doesn't close his eyes when we, do, when we sin. He's in bedrooms, whorehouses, hotel rooms, sitting there watching the, the screen and your computer with you. Knows what you're thinking. There are no special limitations to God. <laughs> We're so arrogant. It's so arrogant. You, you, you actually, well, you actually think God didn't see that? Uh, what did you do? Uh, oh, my. Come on. <laughs> you know, no spatial over there. Uh, the, the, the second one is closely associated. The third one is closely associated. We're going to get into these omnis here. Uh, God, number three, is omnipresent. Immensity means that he transcends all spatial limitations. And omnipresence is, is kind of sort of similar, and that is that God is not bound or limited. He is everywhere present. Part of God is, doesn't show up. All of God is everywhere. All of him is everywhere. All of him. All of him is in our lives. Now that, 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 that'll make your socks roll down right there, man. All of God, the one who created the universe, <laughs> all of these attributes that he has, all of him is inside of us. In fact, Paul put it this way, he talks about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says that he is building, uh, the, 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 that, that we're being built into a dwelling place for God in the world. Isn't that incredible? All of him. He is, he is, omni, he is omnipresent. He's also omniscient. Omni, by the way, means all. Uh, Omniscience means that God has all knowledge. God knows all things actual and possible, past, present, and future, although that, as I mentioned to you, those time-related terms don't relate to God. All of this without thinking. God does not think. I know he uses anthropomorphic terms, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways, but God doesn't think. He doesn't ponder anything. He doesn't consider anything. He doesn't think. To think means that I have to recall. God doesn't have to recall. His knowledge is immediate. Immediate. He, he, he doesn't have to run to get a solution, doesn't have to have a focus group, doesn't have to consult with anybody. It's immediate. No skunk works. It's immediate. 
It's just, it's amazing. This is the God that we talk to. This is the God that we go to. And when he doesn't give us an answer, it doesn't mean that he didn't have one. It means that he knows better. I mean, this is, this is amazing to me. God is omnipotent. That means omni, all potent power. God is all powerful. And he is able to do what he wills. God not only thinks, I shouldn't say thinks, God God, God not only um, has determinations, but he has all power to do anything he determines. All power. Mercy. What is mercy? (laughs) Absolutely. Not getting what we deserve. I actually borrowed this from the uh, uh, Moody Handbook of Theology. I like this line. It says, mercy is the goodness and love of God granted for those who are distressed. Anybody here ever got mercy from God? <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> mercy. It's, don't ask God for justice. You're an idiot. <laughs> you are the biggest jackass who ever lived. You don't ask him for justice, man. Yeah, for somebody else, yeah, yeah. Yeah, now he needs justice. I need mercy. It's <laughs> a good kid. Yes, sir, brother. Yeah, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. God, I deserve. No, shut up. You don't deserve. No, you don't deserve. What? Jackass? <laughs> that's, in, that's in the Aramaic. Yeah. <laughs> Distressed. Distressed. And here's the deal. It's the same thing with grace. You, you know, you, you really can't appreciate grace and mercy until you begin to approach appreciating how screwed up you are. You know, you just can't really, you can't appreciate that. You can't appreciate the mercy of God until you realize that, oh, I was really wrong, wasn't I? Mm-hmm. You're, you're a hot mess. Yeah, just screwed up big time, man. Uh, you know, and all of us, all of us are like that. I desire mercy. What text are you talking about? Is that is that God speaking? He desires mercy. No, I remember Jesus saying. Uh, Anybody remember the context of that? Uh, this, uh, is that Micah? 
I'm getting a, drawing a blank here. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's talking about their attitudes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's talking about, he's talking about their attitudes. He's talking about, uh, yeah, you know, you, 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 you come up here and give me all this uh, disingenuous sacrifice, and you actually, it's bogus, man. You, you're kind of like performing for everybody. So, you know, but the real deal is your heart. How are you treating people, buddy? How are you treating people? Are you treating them the way I treated you? And so I desire mercy rather than sacrifice. This stuff that you think you're doing in my name. And by the way, that's, that's us too. Got to be kind of careful. Um, yeah. Grace. What's grace? What's the difference between grace and mercy? Yeah. What's that? Yeah, that's right. Mercy, that's right. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Grace is getting far more than what we deserve. <laughs> yeah, unmerited favor, yeah, yeah. I put it this way, it's a disposition and display of favor toward those who have offended him. It's not just forgiveness toward those who have offended him. It's favor toward those who have offended him. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? You messed over me, so I'm going to bless you. You know, we repent, and mercy would be enough. Mercy would be enough. God doesn't know us anything. But what does he do? He gives us his spirit. He gives us joy. He gives us gifts. He gives us the privilege to serve him. He doesn't deal with us according to our sins. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. God's been good. Amen? Amen. Now, justice. God is just too. Justice means that God is entirely correct and just in all his dealings with humanity. God does not screw up. Now, we think that God should have done certain things, and we get ticked at God because he didn't do those things. We get ticked at him. We get disappointed with God. So many atheists, and I would say, and this sounds crazy, but I would say 80 to 90% of people who call themselves atheists, um, if you poke long enough, you poke long enough, you will discover that there is some perceived injustice on God's part in their lives. Some hurt, some pain, some disappointment. God didn't heal a family member who died. Something didn't work out. And from their vantage point, God was not just. I'll put quotes around that toward them. But the justice of God says that he's always correct and always just in all of his dealings. Even when we don't understand them. Now let's, let's just move through some of the, 
Those are some of the attributes. Those are his attributes. Who he is within himself and how he relates to space and time toward us. There, there are three big names of God. And let's just quickly, I'm going to quickly go through this. And I'm going to take a look at these names and some of the compound names to help us understand. The, the primary um, I would say the general name of God in the Old Testament is Elohim. Elohim. Uh, it's a Hebrew plural form and used more than 2,000 times in the Old Testament. And again, it is the general name of God. It's the sum total of who he is. It's like when your, your son or your daughter calls you daddy. I mean, it's, it's his name. It's, it's the sum total of all that he is, the general name of God. It's another name of God, um, Adonai. Adonai means Lord or Master. It is translated Lord and used 449 times in the Old Testament. And then there is the Tetragrammaton. What is the tetragrammaton? Yeah, you get shots for that, tetanus shots for that. Tetragrammaton means literally a four-letter word, four-letter expression. Uh, here's the transliteration, Yahweh. Now, we say Jehovah, but there's no such word as Jehovah, technically. Uh, it is... Uh, it is, it, there's an abbreviation. Why do you think the scribes abbreviated that name? It was too holy to write down. And the reason why it was too holy to write down, because this is the name of God that identifies himself in his personal relationship with his people. I mean, this is, this is, this, the, the, and that's the reason why it was just so holy that Elohim would condescend to walk and identify with his people. The Lord, Yahweh, is my shepherd. Think about that line. I know you quoted it a million times. You've read Psalm 23. But just park it there. The Lord is my Shepherd, those five words. Who in the world is your shepherd? Yahweh. Yahweh. He is shepherding you through life. He is leading your life. He is providing for you. He is protecting us. He is meeting our needs. Yahweh is my shepherd. Mm. Now, there's some compound names of God. And this is not all of them, but just a few of them. Uh, the compound names of Elohim, whenever you see El in front of that, it's, it's Elohim. So El Shaddai, that means God Almighty. El Elyon, 
that means God Most High. Worshipful name. El Olam means the everlasting God. And here are a few uh, compound names of Yahweh or Jehovah, uh, whatever way you want to say. This is not an exhaustive list. There are a few more. But uh, Yahweh, Jireh, Jehovah, Jireh means the Lord will provide. Yahweh, Nisi, Jehovah, Nisi means the Lord, our banner. What does that refer to? What does that refer to? Yes. Yes, it refers to victory. God going before us in a war. Banners were held up. Okay. Yahweh Shalom, what does that mean? Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. That's right, speaks of the resources that God has. Yahweh Makedeshim, what does that mean? The Lord your sanctifier. Then Yahweh or Jehovah Tzidkenu, what does that mean? The Lord our righteousness. You know, I want to encourage us, um, maybe sometime today, if you can steal away for a few minutes, just get down on your knees and read through these attributes and names names of God and worship him for who he is thank him that we live in a dependent posture yeah are there any questions maybe a couple yeah d uh, where's d oh yahweh sabaoth yeah, uh, the Lord of hosts. Hosts. H-O-S-T-S. Yes. Yes. Uh, mm, I don't know what you want me to speak. I, it's, it's just a wonder that he, you know, he comes to take up residence in us, that we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And uh, it's my view that all of God, the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit resides in our lives. Now, it's a great mystery. It's not part of God. It's all of him. Uh, wherever he is, all of him is there. And it's just hard to understand that. Hard to comprehend that. Um, and yet that it is so. Christians are not powerless people. All the power that we need 
resides inside of us. And it's yielding to that power. Now, I would, I would say this, you know, you didn't ask me all of this, but um, I believe also that um, in us is an old nature. And that new capacity that's been given to us by God and the old nature, they war against one another. And we have to make a conscious choice because you could say if all of God lives inside of me, then why do I still struggle with sin? Why do I still struggle with temptation? Why do I still struggle with these things? It's because he wants us to make a choice to surrender to him moment by moment. And that's where the victory is won. So I don't mean to suggest that all of God lives inside of me, so then therefore I should never sin. Well, we shouldn't sin. But the reality is that we do because the capacity to sin has not been taken from us, which is the old nature or whatever you want to call it, old nature capacities, flesh or whatever moniker you want to use. But God himself is there. And as, and as we turn to him and yield to his power, we can overcome. So, Yes, sir. No, I can't. Yes, yeah, yeah. So, the answer is that yes. Uh, but, you know, I argue that you can see all of those same attributes in the New Testament. You can see them. They're there as well. But I think God is declaring his presence in, hum in human history in the Old Testament uh, in very dramatic ways, particularly through his peoples, the, the children of Israel. He's declaring that. And, and in, in these last times, in Hebrews 1, he has spoken to us through his son. And so the focal point, the focal point of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is Jesus is telling, but, but the focal point now is Jesus, but all of these attributes are found in our Savior, every last one of them. And so he gives us a composite picture of all that he is in the incarnation and in the exaltation of his son in the New Testament. So I would, I would say, yeah, you're, you're right. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, you know, that, that's, a, that's a can of worms right there. Um, you know, um, 
the premise is this. Let's, all, let's walk back to square one. We're always dependent. Always. Always dependent. And part of my problem with the Word of Faith movement and with these folks there is that uh, I've got a number of issues, not the least of which is that they have a theology uh, that the origin of all of that stuff is that they, they, they uh, misapply the image of God. They say they would teach that the image of God means that we are small gods. And that's heresy. We're not small gods. We bear his image, but we also are always in a dependent posture. So God is all-powerful, but he doesn't always use his power. If he uses his power, then we all be out of, out of here right now. And so we're always, we're always in a dependent posture. And, uh, and the other problem that I have with that is that if you believe that you're a little God, then it makes sense that then you demand God to do certain things and you decree that into existence because you are a little God. But that's not the case. So to them, faith is, is, is giving a list of things for God to do. Now, faith is never, faith is not about what we want God to do. Faith is always about what God wants done through us. And whatever he wants done through us, then he initiates in us a call to believe him to get that done. So it doesn't originate with us. It's in line with his desires if we ask anything according to his will. So, so when you ask that question about the limitations of God's power, um, there, there is a, there's an assumption back there that somehow or another um, we can represent God's power. We're not the representatives of his power. We, we are the conduits of his power. You see the difference between the two? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that, that's, that's the reason why theology matters. You, you, that's the reason why theology matters. That's really understanding the scripture. If you have wrong assumptions, wrong presuppositions, then you're going to set yourself up for either disappointment with God or some crazy conclusions. Yeah. Yeah, all those folks have problems with funerals. They they and I'm not being funny with that. They have difficulties explaining death. They have difficulties with that. They don't know exactly what to say. And uh because it's it's based on a false premise. God is to be worshipped, not to be leveraged. God is to be worshipped, not to be leveraged. And uh, you, you don't domesticate God. And so, it, that's, yeah. So the term, when we talk about the image of God, when you use the term Christ Jesus, it means we're his representative. Are you saying that that's not? 
Well, no, we're his representatives in the sense that we're his ambassadors, that he works through us. But as long as you're using representative in its purest sense that we represent him in a dependent posture, then that's, that's, that's true. That's true. But if you're using it in the sense that we're kind of like little Lord Fauntleroy's, you know what I mean? <laughs> that, that, that doesn't, yeah. So, one more question. Mm-hmm. Because of pride, man. I mean, we're fallen creatures. We're fallen creatures prone to wander. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's like I go through that myself, man. I could, I can, I could preach a message and sense God using me in a great way, and doggone it, get in my car and the most awful, terrible thought races across my mind. Which is another point. We are perpetually, constantly dependent. And the reason why these things are, in, are amazing is to call us to dependence. You know, you, you just can't make it without him. You can't. Yeah, so, okay. Scott's standing there, which is a message that... <laughs> Thank you, Crawford. Appreciate it. Um, Just to...